Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of Superman and Batman, the greatest podcast that each and every episode looks at stories teaming the two greatest heroes in comics, or at least the greatest such podcast hosted by me, Michael Bradley, because let's face it folks, if there's another one, it's probably better than this one. But hey, 10 episodes in a row, and they said it would never happen. This episode, when I spun the Wheel of Randomness, which, much like the Wheel of Fate, should not be confused with the less cool yet more Pat sajak Wheel of Fortune, I was given World's Finest Comics number 197. Unfortunately, World's Finest Comics number 197 is an all-reprint issue, and while we haven't looked at any of the stories reprinted in that book, I assume they'll come up eventually, and I'd much rather look at them in their original context rather than the reprints. So, what to do? Well, as it happens, this episode is being released the first week of March. And much like last week was the anniversary of the first pairing of Superman and Batman on radio, this week, by coincidence, is the anniversary of their first team-up in comic books. Because according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, Superman number 76 was released 62 years ago this week, on March 7, 1952. Now, we looked at that story in the very first episode of the show, so we're not going to go back and look at it again. But there is a more modern story that owes a lot to the mightiest team in the world from Superman number 76. So this episode, we'll be looking at Superman Batman Annual number 1, which was released on October 25th, 2006, with a December 2006 cover date. It's got 52 pages and a cover price of $3.99. Our cover is by Ed McGinnis and Dexter Vines, and is basically a, a poster collage that shows Superman, Batman, and the villains of the story, along with the title, A Reimaginary Story. And it's an alright cover, I suppose. I mean, all the characters look good, especially if you're a fan of Ed McGinnis, which I am. I just prefer something a little more action-y and, and, a, and less movie poster. But anyway, despite the issue being 52 pages, there's only one story inside, a 32-page tale titled, Stop Me If You've Heard This One. And credits for this story are, Story, Joe Kelly, Pencils, Ed McGinnis, Ryan Otley, Sean Murphy, and Carlo Barbary. Inks, and we're going to have to take a deep breath for this one, folks. Dexter Vines, Cliff Rathburn, Sean Murphy, Don Hillsman II, Bob Petrecka, Andy Owens, Rodney Ramos, B. Arthur, Donnie Osmond, the 1992 Seattle Seahawks offense, and a special appearance by It Is Enough co-star Willie Ames. by Guy Major. Letters, Rob Lay. Cover, Ed McGinnis, Dexter Vines, and Guy Major. 
Assistant Editor Janine Schaefer, Editor Eddie Braganza, and special thanks to Papa Loeb. Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman, created by Bob Kane. And Bill Finger, though that seems to have been accidentally omitted from my copy. In the early days of his career as a costumed hitman, Deathstroke is hired to kill one Bruce Wayne. We then cut to New York City. New York City! Where Superman and Batman stop some rampaging villains before a bit of superhero male posturing, including a bit of back-and-forth banter about discovering each other's identities before shaking hands and parting ways in order for Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne, each unbeknownst to the other, to get ready for a cruise. The next day, Clark and Lois Lane and Bruce Wayne in a pair of bikini-clad blondes board the ship with the hero's made-up alter egos not exactly getting along. The two are further both chagrined when they learn that, due to a computer glitch, they are slated to share a room on the ship. That night at dinner, Deathstroke makes his first attempt on Bruce's life with a poisoned drink, but is thwarted by a timely round of superdickery in the form of a zap of heat vision. Later that night, while Clark and Bruce try, rather awkwardly, to sleep in the same bed, they're distracted by a light show in a pinkish vortex that engulfs the ship. Both Clark and Bruce know they need to suit up for action, but can't exactly do so with the other in the room. Fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on your point of view, the subject soon becomes moot when a second attempt on Bruce's life is made. A hand fires a poison-tipped dart at the quadrillionaire, but hits Clark instead, revealing his secret. Seconds later, a costumed figure, who I'll just go on and say is Deathstroke's opposite number from Earth 2, which at this time was home to the crime syndicate, leaps into the room, shielding Bruce from a hail of bullets fired by Deathstroke. The killer then tosses a grenade into the cabin and escapes in the ensuing explosion. Up on deck, Lois interviews passengers when she sees silhouetted forms she believes to be Superman and Batman, but is surprised to find they actually belong to Ultraman and Owlman of the crime syndicate. Back in the rubble of the exploded cabin, Clark and Bruce decide to split up to investigate the would-be assassin and the Vortex, respectively. Up on deck, Superman encounters Ultraman, while back down below, Bruce runs smack into Superwoman, also of the crime syndicate, who mistakes him for Owlman and begins throwing him around. Thankfully, or once again, maybe not, Deathstroke's opposite number shows up, saving Bruce once more only to get a sword shoved through his brain, thanks to Deathstroke himself. As the battle between Superman and Ultraman grows bigger, increasingly violent and more cheap-shotty, the fight between Bruce, Superwoman, and Deathstroke, and the somehow-still-alive anti-Deathstroke spills onto the ship's deck. Bruce slips away in the mayhem, leaping overboard, and using the Bat-Sub to aid Superman against Ultraman. The two then return to the ship and confront their opposite numbers. And what ensued in the next 15 minutes of that ill-fated voyage will go down in the annals of metahuman conflict as the ultimate mamajama of superhero battles. Picture it. 
With lightning speed, Batman and Owlman traded blows, using amazing contraptions of equally matched, yet diametrically opposed, ingenuity. Batarang versus Owlrang. Batrope versus Owlrope. Batsneer versus Owl Grimace. Now you might think bats and owls aren't diametrically opposed, but in nature, they really hate each other. It's in the books, kids. Below, while Deathstroke peppered both the Dex and his strange doppelganger with handfuls of micro-missiles, Superwoman set about the arduous task of dissecting the lip-flapping mercenary using nothing more than a makeup mirror and a pair of pantyhose. For his part, the mysterious undeathstroke bled profusely and cried in shame. Then, an army of slightly confused purple-winged Thanagarians dropped from the sky, locked in battle with three dozen Cybertronic Blackhawks in a beak-on-beak dance of death. Much blood was shed, and yeah, it was hot. Superwoman and Ultraman smote one another with thunderous smitings. Is it smitings or smotings? That's a funny word, isn't it? Smote really doesn't sound like a word after a while. Anyway, Mogo stopped by just to say hi, and to get back the Pyrenees that Earth had borrowed 97 trillion years ago. If you don't ask, the Earth never remembers to give stuff back. But Mogo saw what was going on with the heroes and the anti-heroes, and just said he'd check in later. After my stories are done. It's cool. I don't need him back until Tuesday anyway. Darkseid played chess with Ambushbug. Ambushbug won and accidentally destroyed the universe with the ultimate clapper. Then Crypto woke up, happy to realize it had just been a terrible dream. I would have actually shown all of this awesome battle to you, but, okay, well, first of all, this is an audio medium. And, no offense, but your all-too-human minds would just melt and drip out through your nasal cavities, turned to jelly by the sheer, undiluted awesomeness. And then... And then... Well, things simmer down, but remain no less epic. As Deathstroke and the Anti-Deathstroke compare and contrast, Batman and Owlman realize the Vortex is sucking the ship inside and about to trap them all inside. Along with Superman, they try to devise a plan, but Ultraman just won't stop fighting. Finally, Superman tricks Ultraman into chasing him. The draft from their super-speed chase pulls the ship free of the Vortex and ends the threat. As the rift closes, all participants are pulled back to their proper universes, and Deathstroke is taken into custody. All is well and good, until Lois Lane confronts our heroes, trying to prove once and for all that Superman and Batman are, in fact, Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne. But a little super speed frustrates Lois' suspicions, and all is well once more. In the end, we find our entire tale has been told by Mr. Mixius Pitalik, to a bizarro producer. An imped-up version of Superman number 76, revised to stand along the angsty epics of today's superhero market. The bizarro deems the story the best story ever, and Mixie responds with a resounding huzzah. The end. This is the first comic covered on the show that I actually read at the time it was published. And it's really weird for me, looking back at it, um, not only because I'm not used to looking at stories so new, but because I remember, for lack of a better word, I remember the baggage, um, both things going on in my life and my attitude towards uh, the comics, or the direction of comics at the time. And 
it can be a little tricky to you know separate that out and, and give a fair analysis of the story. And I don't have to be fair on the show per se, because it's all my opinion, and you know your perception shapes your opinion. But at the same time, I do want to give stories their due, and it's not right to put all my problems with the state of comics on one book that really isn't that bad. Um, this is definitely a book that I've enjoyed more on subsequent rereadings. Uh, part of that is because once you realize the entire story is being narrated by Mr. Mixus Pitalik, well, that's both a good and a bad thing. It's good because it lets the writer just go crazy and do whatever he wants. But at the same time, it's bad because it lets the writer go crazy and do whatever he wants. And Kelly even kind of acknowledges that on the next to last page when Bizarro points out that within the story, we never found out who hired Deathstroke to kill Batman. And we, we never learn about the Vortex or what caused it or how that impacted the antimatter universe – uh, to the point where the crime syndicate could just, you know, appear in "quote unquote" our universe, and there's also issues with lining this up with the continuity at the time, which, uh, admittedly, was still very much in flux thanks to Infinite Crisis and and things going on around that time. Um, but both Clark and Bruce both act just a little bit out of character here. Um, but when you know that the story is being told by, you know, Mixie and is therefore probably full of embellishments or twisted perceptions or, or just a, a, a big bag of lies, you can just sort of sit back and enjoy the crazy fun. And to a certain extent, you know, I'll be the first to admit that that is a cop-out. But it's easier to take in a story like this one where the intention is to tell that kind of story compared to when a writer tells a story with you know continuity issues or mischaracterizations and then tries to excuse it by just saying, well, they're all made-up stories anyway. Um, I did kind of have a problem with the antimatter Deathstroke. Now, clearly, it's, it's intended to be Marvel Comics' Deadpool, even though they couldn't call him that. Uh, both Joe Kelly and Ed McGinnis have a history with Deadpool, so it was just them kind of, mostly Joe Kelly, you know, kind of giving a nod to that. But it felt more like a running joke that never really had a proper punchline. Um, he served his point in the story. I just would have liked to have seen Kelly do a little more with him to, to kind of put the point on it. Uh, but really, that was my only uh, so-called complaint. I mean, if we're taking this as a straight story, yes, there's a lot more that I could criticize. But like I said, that wasn't the intent of the story. So it's just a big, insane, crazy fun tale that you can, you know, turn your brain off and enjoy. Uh, maybe that's not something that's to everyone's taste. And, you know, I'll admit that I like these stories only occasionally myself, but it definitely works. It was a good attempt at taking that first classic, that classic first comic book team up and updating it for modern readers but still keeping the tongue very firmly planted in the cheek and realizing that Superman and Batman meeting on a cruise is, you know, as much as I love the original, from the perspective of a reader in 2006, it's kind of silly and doesn't really work in the, in the modern context. Um, unfortunately, the art was a mixed bag. As you heard when I did the credits rundown, it took four pencilers and a 
seven inkers to put this book together. I don't know if that was a scheduling thing or if they were just trying to squeeze this in and no one artist had time to do the whole thing. But the result of it is there are regular shifts in art as you read the story. And it's that kind of thing is off-putting to me as a reader. Now, these four artists blend together a little more than some combinations, but the change from one to the next is still pretty obvious, especially when the penciler changes. So I, I would just have preferred to have seen one artist do the entire thing. I mean, any one of these four guys would have been just fine had they done the entire issue himself, but going from one to the next is just not the consistency I want in a story that's only 32 pages long. Uh, but still, all in all, it's a good issue as long as you don't take it too seriously. You know, just shut your brain off, kick back, and enjoy it. Which, you know, when, when it comes right down to it, that's kind of how comics should be, I guess. Uh, so right now, we're going to take a break, play a couple promos that you should not shut your brain off for because they're for shows that are really good and that I highly encourage you listening to. And then we'll be back for the second segment. This story has been reprinted twice. First in Superman Batman, The Greatest Stories Ever Told, trade paperback, which actually reprints this story and The Mightiest Team in the World from Superman number 76. In fact, those two stories are the bookend tales in the volume. So reading just that trade, you kind of end right back where you started, which uh, it's kind of neat because you get the the old version and then the quote-unquote new version. So that's kind of fun. Uh, But it was also reprinted in Superman Beyond, The Man of Tomorrow trade paperback. Even if, for the life of me, I can't figure out why, since the fourth Superman Batman annual would have made more sense in that trade. But there you go. If you want to hear another podcaster's view on it, Andy and Michael over on Hey Kids Comics gave a brief look to this story when they talked about the mightiest team in the world during their Happy Birthday Superman series from 2013. So be sure to check that out, as well as other episodes of Hey Kids Comics, which always is entertaining. As this is a modern comic, there are, of course, a lot of ads. And I don't know if it's me getting older, or just a sign of how little things change, but looking through the book, these ads don't seem... They, they still seem pretty modern, and I'm not getting a lot of nostalgia or you know good or bad memories of the time from these particular ads. Um, with the exception of one of the DC Retroactive books that we looked at on Green Lantern's Light, I've never covered, or at least I don't think I've covered, an issue this recent on a podcast. 
most of my podcasting has been about Golden Age material, and we looked at a lot of Bronze Age over on Green Lantern's Light, of course. Uh, but other than that, there's been a couple modern books or some Silver Age material when I've guest hosted on places. But other than that, I've just not done a lot of modern comics podcasting. Um, but one ad that did catch my eye, enough to mention it, was the inside front cover, which plugs the DVD release of Superman 2, the Richard Donner cut. And it might be surprising to many people that I have still not seen that. So, there you go. There's also a Got Milk ad with Yankees cheater, or I mean hitter, Alex Rodriguez. And you've got your requisite candy ads, video game ads, and the like. Pretty much your standard comic book fare from 2006. And the DC Nation page, which is what DC was calling their advertorial page at this time, plugs the year or the various Year One miniseries that DC had upcoming, including Year One books for Green Arrow, Metamorpho, The Teen Titans, Black Lightning, and The Huntress. Uh, but speaking of other books, as we always do, let's head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a very short trip in the time machine and see what else was on the stands. And I, I feel like I keep saying this, but much like with the ads, it's weird for me reflecting on books like this, as I'm just not used to podcasting about books this recently released. And as I kind of said at the beginning of the show, I have a lot of baggage from this time, as I was I'm not going to go into detail on it, but I was I was becoming more and more uh, disenfranchised with the comics medium and, and the direction of DC Comics, and I hadn't yet come to grips with it like I have now. Um, and granted, a lot has happened in the DC universe in the last seven years, but still, it's it's just it's weird for me reflecting on books this recent. Uh, like always, we're not going to talk about everything. I'm just going to hit the highlights and and what I see that interests me. Uh, This was about halfway between the end of Infinite Crisis and the beginning of the run-up to Final Crisis. So first up is 52, number 22 through 25. And this was a series that I read as it came out, and while I didn't like all of it, overall I I quite enjoyed it from week to week. I kind of want to go back at some point and reread it. Uh, This series takes place over the course of a year, and sequences are labeled as, you know, January 1st, January 2nd, etc. So I'd like to go back and and reread it in quote-unquote real time to see if it holds up that way or, or if it even still holds up at all nearly a decade later. Unfortunately, as far as this show is concerned, neither Superman or Batman are a big part of it, but then that was kind of the point of the series. Um... But speaking of Batman, he appears in Detective Comics number 824, and I really, I I guess this is bad for me to say, hosting a Superman-Batman podcast, but I really don't know too much about this era of Batman. Um, Justice League Unlimited number 26 has the team taking on Black Manta, and I miss this title. Or, Or maybe not this title, per se, but titles like this. All the stories weren't gems, but they were usually fun, done-in-one stories that you could just read and then, you know, kind of put aside. And you didn't have to worry about reading, you know, six months of comics to understand one or, you know, six months of a series to understand one issue. You could just read it and be done with it. 
Uh, Supergirl number 11 has Nightwing. Speaking of World's Finest, I guess here we go. Supergirl number 11 has Nightwing, big and bold on the cover. Uh, Supergirl, in, in this issue, Supergirl tries to join the Outsiders, which Dick was leading at the time. Unfortunately, the Supergirl title here was really, really bad during this time. It kept shifting writers, it had little direction, and what direction it did have was woefully wrongheaded. And the less said about it is really the better. Batman Strikes number 26. I haven't read this particular issue, but at some point I thought about maybe doing an episode talking about uh, the episodes and issues where Superman and Batman teamed up uh, in this. Uh, Batman Strikes was based off of um, it was based off the Batman cartoon, and at some point I may go back and look at those episodes. and And there was one issue of the title where Superman appeared. Um, I recently rewatched the uh, two part team up from the show, and it was it was really good. Even though I didn't really enjoy it too much at the time, I watching it again and and divorced from the context again there's that there's that you know big context issue divorced from the context of the time i really enjoyed it quite a bit uh there's also a trade paperback birds of prey the battle within which i bring up because it contains a great two-parter featuring the thorn who gail simone gave a bit of a reboot to a few years earlier and another story in this volume features an appearance by superman so there you go Speaking of Gail Simone and, and relaunches, her run on Gen 13 began with a brand new number one. And I don't think this was a reboot, strictly speaking, but I could be wrong. Uh, Gen 13 is not something I've ever closely followed, especially this late into the game. JLA Classified number 28, yet another series that was really bad at this time, so we'll just move on to Superman number 657 which is the penultimate chapter of uh, Kurt Busiek's first arc on that title. And this was illustrated by Carlos Pacheco and is really something else that I want to revisit sometime when I can sit down and, and read it as a whole, you know, completely divorced from the context of the time. The Superbooks were plagued with a lot of delays around this time, and if I remember correctly, they were only beginning at this point. So that's another thing that really shaped my perception of this story arc at the time is you know when you have to wait two months between chapters of a story it kind of throws your uh, view of the story off or or shapes it a little differently Uh, Teen Titans number 40 has the character Miss Martian front and center on the cover this wasn't her first appearance but is uh, definitely one of her earliest and I think this is another character that has been erased from continuity with the new 52 which is unless she appears in between the time I record this and when it comes out. But it, it's just really too bad because she's a she's a fun character. Um, Matt Wagner revisits an early Golden Age story with Batman and the Mad Monk, and issue three of that series is out this month. Uh, Justice League of America has an awesome variant cover by Chris Sprouse of Superman standing in front of the Daily Planet's rooftop globe, which would make a really great poster. If you are listening, DC Comics. Uh, Crypto the Superdog, number two. This is a fun series and one that I would highly recommend for young kids. 
Each issue has two stories, so it's perfect for the young kids with short attention spans who maybe can't sit through a 22-page uh, issue. And it's actually geared for that, you know, for the for the for the age level that don't have that long attention span. Uh, it's based off of the uh, Crypto the Superdog cartoon, so if you're familiar with that cartoon, you're going to have an idea of the age level that the book is geared towards. Uh, Superman Returns was released in 2006, and DC published four prequel books to help bridge the gap between when Superman left Earth and the beginning of the movie. The first retold Superman's origin, uh, basically the movie version of it, and the other three focused on a character from the film, Lex Luthor, Martha Kent, and Lois Lane. And all four of those volumes are collected into a trade paperback here uh, but speaking of Superman and movies, Richard Donner joins Jeff Johns on Action Comics number 844. Remember those delays I mentioned? Yeah, this is this is right where it starts. Um, Batman number 658. Wow, this was Grant Morrison's third issue of Batman. And it's hard to believe that he was on the character for so long. Uh, he just finally wrapped up his run last year. People laud his writing, of course, but I don't often hear praise about the sheer longevity of his run. Um, Long runs are really, really uncommon these days, and between Morrison's warming up on Batman and and, uh, Jeff Johns having about a year and a half of Green Lantern under his belt at this point, it was the dawn of a couple epic runs on two of DC's biggest characters. And you just don't always hear that um, praise like I think it should be. And the last thing I see that I really want to mention is the Mark Wade written Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes number 23. And I absolutely love Mark Wade's run on this title. I came on when Supergirl joined the team and then went back and grabbed his run to that point. And no take on the Legion of Superheroes has felt as much like classic Legion, but updated for the modern era as Wade's revamp. Um, they brought back the quote-unquote classic Silver Age Legion about a year after this, but Wade's run to me, I think it was very true to the concept and spirit of the original Legion, but definitely updated for modern times, and without being slavish to the original or, or just bringing that continuity forward. If you have never read Legion and want a, want a small peek into kind of what it's all about but don't really want to have to wade through no pun intended, Wade through the Silver and Bronze Age continuity, consider checking out Wade's run, which has been collected into, I think, four trades. It's it's really fun and, and does capture the spirit of that original Legion of Superheroes. But that's it. Next episode, we'll be diving back into the pages of World's Finest Comics for something. I know what the story is, but you'll have to tune in to find out. But still, I want to thank you very much for listening. And really, folks, I want to thank everyone for the support during these past 10 episodes. Um, I realize 10 episodes is is a drop in the bucket compared to, well, pretty much every other podcast out there. But after going more than a year without doing any solo podcasting, it really feels good to have been welcomed back so warmly. Um, If you haven't already, be sure to like the show on Facebook, follow on Twitter, And be sure to subscribe via iTunes, because it's the only way to make sure that you never miss an episode. 
Uh, but that's it. Thanks again for listening, and I will definitely talk to you next time. Goodbye. listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together.